It's the first Monday of the month, and we are tackling your questions on our monthly Q&A show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 287. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And I'm so glad you've joined in with us. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Once a month, the first Monday of every month, we record responses to the questions that have come in from the listening community over the last month. And you can submit your question to us for consideration for a future Q&A show just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And as I am joined every month, Bonnie Stahoviak is with me here in studio to respond to your questions. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. I was laughing a little while you were saying if this is your first time listening. Welcome. I was thinking if this is your 287th time listening, a huge welcome to you too. Indeed. And we have a bunch of people who have listened to all 287 shows. And if you have, and I don't know you already, I would love to know you. So send me a note. Uh, send me a note. I'd love to uh, say hello. I was also going to say that I loved your last episode on culture. I don't remember the exact title of it, but I loved it so much that I actually assigned it to my class this week. And their assignment is to listen to it and then to write, either email me or there's a little app that they can text me in the app with three key takeaways. And I already got, uh, one of the gals did it early and I already got her message and she couldn't narrow it down to just three. Oh, wow. She wrote me a really big, long thing. (laughs) It was really cool to read. But, you know, usually I I don't don't, uh, fault them for this, but they're getting very close to their spring break and there's always a lot of assignments and tests. So they're just trying to game the system off and to do as little as possible. So I was really surprised that she got so much out of it that she really wanted to reflect on what she took away. And it was great. It was just fun to revisit. She actually remembered more than I did about the episode. (laughs) Yeah, I thought Aaron did a really great job. Um, You and I have both taken classes and read books on culture over the years. And and still, I took a bunch away from that conversation that I hadn't really thought about before. So uh, thanks again, Aaron, for appearing on the show. And if you haven't listened, uh, go back and check it out. Episode 286, How to Influence Cross-Culturally. But we have lots more to talk about today. We have a bunch of questions to tackle here, Bonnie. So let's go ahead and jump in on the first one from Roger. Roger emailed in, says, My question is, when you manage remotely and you're trying to engage an associate that just does not want to participate and just does the bare minimum to get by, how do you encourage them to perform like the rest of the team? Well, you've asked a difficult question, Roger, in the sense of trying to get people who are unengaged to engage is difficult whether or not the person is remote. One of the things that I like to try to do is to make a virtual team as much akin to an in-person team as I can. And I'll tell you one of the tools that I believe we've talked about before on the show, but I just cannot say enough good things about is a synchronous video conferencing tool called Zoom. That's Zoom, like zooming in with your camera and it's .us and Dave can put a link to it in the show notes. But what I like about that is it is the closest thing that I've experienced to feeling like I'm just in the room with other people and you can use it just with one other person, but it also works great if you were going to need to have virtual meetings. 
And in fact, I'm wrapping up a doctoral class. And this is the first time in this program that we're actually having two cohorts that are separated from each other. There's one in Stockton and one down here in Irvine, California. And we had a face-to-face meeting where in one of the rooms, there was just a camera and a computer. And in the other room where I was, there's a camera and a computer. And due to a whole bunch of stuff I won't bore people with, it just didn't go well in terms of the technology. The sound was down, so I ended up having to pass my cell phone around the table and all of that. And since then, we've been meeting everybody at their own houses. And so, or sometimes people are at work when they do it in the evenings. And so we're all in front of a computer and have a webcam there and we're using Zoom to talk to each other. But it's just so easy to use that you sort of forget that it's there. And so much so that actually they, for our final session we're about to have this Saturday, they have elected to all be in front of their computers, even though we're going to be in a room together. So everyone will have their headsets on and their microphones. And as an aside, by the way, if you do that, sometimes you'll have to mute yourself because if somebody else's microphone picks up your voice, it could cause a little bit of an echo, but we're all willing to have to mute ourselves a little bit more for what this tool allows us to do. And again, I'm not, we don't make a commission off of Zoom. Although by the way, Zoom, if you're listening, I'd be very interested in talking to you because I talk about your product so much. Uh, Kidding on that, but no, we don't have any financial, there's no affiliate link or something for them. We actually do have an affiliate link for Zoom, but I don't know if we've ever announced it before. Oh, I didn't even know we had one. Well, there you go. Anyway, I wasn't, so I wasn't saying that because I thought it was going to generate any cash for us, but apparently it might. Here comes that cruise to Hawaii is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. We, we do not make large sums of money off of any of our affiliate links. Which actually relates to one of our questions later, which we'll get into. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, just that idea that if I can use technology to make more of that connection, that's helpful. And But the rest of anything I would have to say about this is just very much how do you manage someone who's disengaged who's in person? And a lot of that comes down to trying to ascertain what the bare minimum means. You haven't said anything in terms of context. Is this a sales organization? Is this an operations organization? It's hard sometimes because if bare minimum works, then sometimes what I try to do is structure things such that bare minimum works in the sense of getting, is this person incredibly reliable but just not someone who goes out and gets things. And that that can sometimes be difficult for me. I'll be candid. It can be difficult for me to manage someone who is just the, the, you know, things are running, it's on time, it's steady, but boy, isn't not moving fast. And in case you can't tell this from my interactions on the podcast, I, I like to have things moving. I like action oriented. I like goals. I like checking things off of lists. And, but if everyone in an organization was like that, it wouldn't be good. So I'd be wanting to think about, am I missing some of the picture of the value that this person either is contributing or could potentially have the ability to contribute? And one other thing I would just wonder about is, is everyone else on your team in person? And is just this one person remote? Because that was sort of the way it sounded like uh, was possible. And, And in that, I would wonder, well... Why is that? And is there anything that you're inadvertently doing to make the person feel like they're ostracized from the rest of what's happening? And can you put into place tools? And I mentioned Zoom. I'll mention one more, by the way. If you have not heard of Slack before, Roger, Slack is a really wonderful tool 
that they say sort of takes the best of but leaves the worst behind of a combination of tools like instant messaging, file sharing, and email. And you might be wanting to think about, you know, those regular kinds of communications that should have a little bit more urgency than email, but not quite as much urgency as, say, a text message might. And so in my experience, Slack creates a lot more of a sense of community and a lot more of collaboration. And it also integrates with other services as well. So as far as tools go, I would check out something synchronous video. And wanting to create some norms around that. When when I teach the class that I mentioned, it's a culture that everyone should have themselves unmuted. Obviously, if you have a dog or, you know, we, Dave and I, before we started recording, we thought our kids had just gotten home from the park. So we're like, uh-oh, should we start recording? You know, if sound becomes an issue, then people should, you know, be able to mute themselves just for a minute or two. But the norm should be if we're in a meeting together, whether it's one-on-one or whether this is a group meeting, I should see your eyes. It should be like eye contact. Although candidly on a computer, if you really want to appear as if you're getting giving eye contact, what you're actually doing is looking at the webcam. But if I was just talking to Dave, I'd be looking at his face on the, and it would look like I was looking a bit, a, a little bit lower. I try to position the person's face actually as close to the webcam as I possibly can. If I'm giving a webinar, I look straight at that webcam to make it really look like I'm making eye contact. But anyway, I want to reduce any barriers that I can suggest Zoom, suggest Slack and suggest, I guess one final thing would be the book Drive by Dan Pink and thinking about the three things that Dan Pink says most motivate us. And Dave, of course, you know, I'm not going to remember all three, but one that I remember that sticks with me because it motivates me so highly is autonomy. And that if, if this person, if you're trying to like remove some of that autonomy, sometimes it's for good reason, but sometimes you get friction because it really does demotivate people when you take away their autonomy. This is a challenging situation, Roger. I'd love to hear from you back and hear how things go. And I hope it's been helpful to you. Autonomy, purpose, and mastery are the three from uh, Pink's book. I would highly recommend that, Roger, as a read. I agree with everything Bonnie said, and I second Zoom and Slack. We use both of those for the Coaching for Leaders Academy. They're really powerful platforms. And finally, the other book I would suggest taking a look at, if you don't read at least the lesson from the book, I think is helpful from the Gallup organization, First Break All the Rules. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And one of the key tenets in that book and the research that Gallup has done on organizations and managers and engagement over the years is that they found that the best managers spend the most time with their best people. And so to what Bonnie was saying earlier, that's something to consider in the context of the bare minimums. If this person truly is doing the minimum they need to do, then how do you be really strategic about the time you're spending with them and how they're engaging with the organization versus the rest of your team. And I think that that context will be really helpful in you determining how you motivate going forward and also how you make choices around strategy and time to maximize the impact you're making. This next question is from Thomas. He says, I'm a new sales manager. Despite my best efforts to motivate my sales team, our numbers have not picked up and it's left me feeling like an ineffective manager. Some issues that I perceive are that most of our sales team is straight out of college and lacking what I see as maturity. There are some tenured folks here as well who seem to be struggling with boredom. I have tried to coach each individually. I have a list of everyone's motivators and try to reward behaviors with personal incentives. I tend to fall into the rescuer role a lot. 
to build rapport with our reps, which was very important to me when I took on the role because a lot of these folks knew me as an individual contributor prior to being promoted. My question is, what methods or resources would you suggest for a new leader such as myself to motivate teams for direct results? And how do we address maturity through coaching? When I see that we're just over 50% of quota and these reps' paychecks, and subsequently my paychecks are almost non-existent, but they don't care, it's easy for me to frustratingly throw up my hands and say that they aren't adults. I say that in private to my wife, not to the team. Good call on saying that in private <laughs> as a starting point. So yeah, this is uh, this is really a tough situation, Thomas. I have worked through this with teams over the years too, and particularly in a sales organization. I'm assuming from the context of your question, folks are being paid on commission. It's hard because you get in the mindset with the team of, unless I'm specifically being paid to do this, uh, as in get a, close a sale or do activities leading to that sale specifically, it's very hard sometimes to get engagement on other things that you may be doing, training, coaching, time and staff meetings, the kinds of things that a lot of us do in order to help develop the skills of the people that we work with. And I'm thinking back to the episode we aired recently with Dan Ariely, is that motive, m- money is a motivator, but it's also a stressor. And so money in and of itself isn't going to lead to those goals as you are discovering, uh, unfortunately, within the organization is, you know, a lot of times we think that if we just structure the compensation system right and we help people to maximize how much money they can make, that that's just going to kind of take care of things. And you already know that that's not true, Thomas, but for everyone else, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think that we really need to look at a very holistic approach about how we do this. And this is really hard in a, in an organization where you're doing that, Thomas. One of the things that I would really suggest looking at is going back to what Simon Sinek said when he came on the show and his book, Start With Why, is what's the big reason, what's the why behind what your organization does in the world and how you get people connected to doing that. And so, yeah, there's the compensation stuff and there's the... There's the daily, you know, what people get measured on and metrics and results and all those things. But one of the things that I have seen as a, as a big difference maker between organizations that have done this well and get results and organizations that have a very similar model, but don't get the results and don't have an engaged team, especially in a sales organization, is that the ones that do this well, they have a why behind it. The team is, if not unified, is on board with a bigger reason for why we're doing in this world. There's a nobler reason for what you're trying to achieve. The organization has a purpose behind it. And yes, even though everyone's working individually toward their own goals and their own compensation on the sales team, that there's a feeling of camaraderie. There's a feeling of purpose. There's a feeling of passion for what the team does. And I really do think that that comes to the sales leader and the sales manager in your case to establish that and begin to create that and to begin to help people to move forward on that. So I would certainly suggest not only listening to that interview that I had with Simon, but also perhaps checking out his work because I think that that will motivate you to start thinking about how you could potentially start to put in that framework in the organization too. And then one other one other resource that I think might be helpful, Thomas, is my friend Tom Henschel and I aired an episode uh, back. Episode number 190 was on coaching skills. And you talk some about coaching in your question. And I think that episode for me, when I think back to it, and one of the things Tom and I talked about is how do you... How do you navigate the challenges between wanting to be a really good coach, 
But at the same time of the daily results that many of us as managers are being asked to have our teams to produce, and how do you manage that tension well? So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes because I feel like Tom probably did a better job of helping articulate that tension and helping leaders navigate around that more so than I think anyone we've ever had on the show in the past and on that conversation point specifically. Bonnie, I'm curious too. I mean, one of the things he mentioned is that he has folks that are just coming out of college. You work with a lot of college students and you actually teach a sales class for college students coming out of college and going into the workplace. Anything specifically around that population that you'd also suggest that maybe he'd be thinking about? Well, we've talked about this in prior shows, and it doesn't necessarily just relate to this specific situation, but I always get myself into trouble when I start to ascribe intent onto other people. So one of the things I would just be cautious of is to, you know, you see somebody who's on Facebook when they should be working, or they're texting on their cell phone when they should be working, pounding the phones or what have you. I don't know what kind of sales model you have, but it's very easy to say, because I wouldn't ever do that, then that means that they're intentionally lazy or they're intentionally trying to, you know, let down on their job, the expectations, that kind of thing. And what really helps me is to stay away from ascribing intent and instead to just focus on the behavior. Because behaviors, we can name those. And I can say, Dave, when you text on your phone when we're having dinner, that really hurts my feelings because I feel like... It does. By the way, he doesn't do that. I'm just, <laughs> he doesn't do that. But it, you know, it makes me feel like you're not fully present for me. Or that I can, I can say, I can talk about the behavior... But if I say, Dave, you are purposely making me feel this way. If I start with the intent, that's a very difficult way to communicate and a different difficult paradigm to have because so many times people who are younger and, and people who are less experienced, they just don't have that social awareness. They don't have the cultural awareness. And by the way, that culture isn't necessarily always about experience. Sometimes it can just be about entering into a new culture and you can have 40 years of experience and still find yourself going, whoa, what's going on here? Because cultures can be so drastically different. I was going to mention just one other thing before we go on to the next question. And that is another resource I always like to pick up and revisit when we're talking about incentives is a really old article called on the folly of rewarding a while expecting b at least i think i have the a and b in the correct order on that i always get it wrong but it sounded good to me indeed i we have mentioned it i'll i'll track down the link for it yeah it's a great article and just and i and it talks specifically about incentives and how in the example in the book or excuse me in the example in the article where we're looking for we want more teamwork we want more teamwork but then the incentives are incenting toward individual performance would be a classic thing that happens. But it looks at a lot of different examples, and it might just be good to read and, and think about some of the incentives. Because as Dave said, they're, they're probably not working if they're only getting to 50% quota, and they seem to be satisfied with that. But I mean, you said they don't care. And I, I guess I would ask, like, how do we know that they don't care? Is it perhaps they don't feel like they can express that? I don't really know many people who enjoy failing, like celebrate failure, that kind of thing. So it would be really interesting to unpack that a little bit more and see if there's something that you're missing. We mentioned a number of past episodes in responding to this question. And so one of the things I'd also recommend for Thomas and anyone else who has not yet done this is um, be sure to set up your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. Uh, that does a whole bunch of things. But one of the things that you'll get access to right away is the entire past library of all the podcasts we've aired. And the reason that's valuable is because if you have a question, you're wondering about something 
around leadership and you're thinking, gosh, I, maybe I heard that on a show before, or uh, maybe I've just been listening for the last six months, but I'd like to see what was in the past on this. Uh, you can go onto your free membership dashboard. And when you log in, you'll see there's a big button for podcasts. And when you click there, you can do a full search by topic of all of the past episodes, the library for the show. And there's a lot of things you can track down there, not only in the audios themselves, but a lot of times in the show notes, because we do uh, do our best to try to track down and uh, link up everything that we mention in every episode. So be sure to check that out. Uh, the best way to get access to that is just go to the coachingforleaders.com website, and you'll find a ton of information on there and a lot of resources in addition to the past podcast library. Uh, and of course, the weekly leadership guide will be included there as well. So uh, let's move over to the next question here from Christine. Uh, Christine emailed in and said, I was wondering what's the value of a master's degree these days? I've been getting a lot of opportunities to freelance lately, and I know that they can help build my reputation and, and pave a way for building my own business, which is my ultimate goal. But I've also been worried that being in a master's degree would be a hindrance to that. My professors at college say that the degree would be great for professional development, but I'm not really sure if that's the right kind of professional development I want to achieve. Bonnie, what's your thoughts on this? Christine, I'm about to give you the most definitive answer I've ever given on this podcast. It depends. You like it? It's uh, powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Probably it's going to require a little explanation, though. <laughs> you, There are master's degrees out there that are not worth the money, and there are master's degrees that are worth far more than you could ever pay for them. And it totally depends on what your goals are, totally depends on what the master's degree is. In my mind, I when I got my master's, it was so applicable to what I was doing at the time. Every single day, I would... Every time, every time, every book that I read, every page of every book would just be directly applicable to the kinds of challenges I was facing. And I felt like I was really able to grow. Now, you didn't ask this question, but I don't have the same words to say about my doctorate. That doesn't mean that I'm not glad I got a doctorate because what it did was help me be able to be a tenured professor at a four-year institution, which I would not have been able to do with a master's degree. So I'm glad I did it. But it just didn't have the same applicability that I described for the master's degree, but it was toward a different career goal. And the master's degree, I had no idea I'd ever teach. So it wasn't, I wasn't aiming toward that goal, but the goal that it fulfilled at that time was just the applicability. And that was actually, I was able to have my degree paid for because my company, I was a less experienced vice president than some of the other people I was serving with on the board. So lucky for me, it felt like an insult at the time. I laugh because... <laughs> Felt like an insult and I'm like, hey, I just got a free master's degree, but hey, I'm going to go ahead and be offended that you've just said I'm inexperienced. And I was, it was the first time I was a vice president. And so I learned a lot in the process and how wonderful that my master's could support me in that way. Now, one thing stuck out to me a little bit. You said my professors at college Oh, said, past tense, said that the degree would be great for professional development. I it, This varies a lot depending on the kind of master's degree you would want to, to earn, but I generally speaking find that it's better if people have at least three to five years of professional experience before they earn a master's. And this would be like if you were going to get a master's in business administration or a master's in leadership or coaching or something like that, because you you just don't tend to most of the time right out of college, assuming you went to college when you were somewhere from 18 to 22, 25, something like that, generally speaking, don't have enough 
organizational experience to be able to have the applicability that I described from earlier. So if you are fresh out of college a couple of years, you may want to wait another year or two until you have a little bit more experience so that you can take the next step. Because otherwise what it can potentially have employers perceive is that you only possess book knowledge. You don't have the real world experience. I agree with everything Bonnie said. And the one thing I'm also zeroing in on here is a way for building my own business. So Christine, 30 years ago, there weren't a lot of other options. The only option for most people beyond college for a lot of professional development was getting a master's degree. Today, there are tons of other options. Uh, Master's degrees, of course, but there's tons of training programs, there's courses, there's communities, there's all kinds of things online. So one thing I'd suggest, in addition to Bonnie's suggestions, is to go talk to people and in your network who are doing the kinds of things you'd like to do and just ask them about their experience. Where did they get their education? Uh, Where did they get training? How did they learn how to do the things they're doing? How did they learn how to run a business? And I think you'll get a better sense of just what people are doing these days, and specifically maybe in the industry you're looking at, what people are doing to drive their professional development. And if you get a sense of that, then I think it'll help you to answer that question and even get more clarity on whether or not getting a master's is the right path for you. This next question is from Francisco. I had a brief slash negative experience with a company the past year. And after I left, some of the core customers of that company posted public appreciations for my work on a Facebook group, basically saying that the company was losing out on my departure. Would such comments be appropriate to attach to that position on my LinkedIn profile? I'm going to also give a definitive answer to this question. Uh, Francisco, the definitive answer is no, I don't think so. And here's the reason is if you had a brief slash negative experience with a company and customers were involved and advocating for you staying and giving feedback, it's there's just so many things that can go wrong with that and so few things that that's probably going to do to really help you long term that I think you're better off just avoiding it. One thing that is never attractive, I shouldn't say never, but I mean most employers are not at all attracted to anything that you'd have on your LinkedIn profile or resume or anything in your experience that suggests something didn't go well with a previous employer and that perhaps you're doing something to speak poorly of a previous employer. Now, in this case, it's someone else saying that. But the fact that you'd be posting it on your LinkedIn profile would sort of give a tacit, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Bonnie? Uh, affirmation. Yeah, thank, thank you. An affirmation that that's that's appropriate or that, you know, the company was wrong. So I just think there's, and and then if your next employer or whoever asks about that, I think it just brings up a lot of opportunity for awkwardness and things you don't want to necessarily communicate. And I don't think you have to have everything on your LinkedIn profile or your resume that you've ever done in your entire life. I mean, especially if you've, if this position was brief and it was less than six months, I'm not even sure you put it on your professional network or profile. Um, Anyway, so I just, I just don't think there's a lot to gain from it. And the other thing I'd add is, I guess if you really wanted to get someone's endorsement who maybe you built as part of your network, you might ask them, as we talked about on the LinkedIn show recently, you might ask them for a review uh, to post on LinkedIn. Uh, I would also be careful about that too, though. If someone mentioned something about a negative experience with a past employer, one of the nice things that LinkedIn lets you do is someone can write you a review. You can then decide if you want to post it on your profile after they write it. And I think this is probably smart for all of us. If someone mentions something in a review they write for you on LinkedIn and it's something negative about a past experience or a past employer, um, I think there's two things we can do. One, we could ask them to maybe edit that piece out before we post it, or we can just say thank you and not post it. And that's the beauty is you don't have to post those things on your LinkedIn profile. I think it's just going to help you to uh, 
I think it's just going to help you to have represent yourself much more cleanly and much more professionally online. This next question is from Andy. I hope you don't mind me asking, but can I ask you about your business model? I just can't understand how you can put on such a good show and keep it free without advertising. Would it be appropriate to share this on one of your monthly Q&A shows? And Dave, I'm just trying so hard not to smile as I read this like, insert here. Just, It's funny. It sounds like we wrote this question, but we didn't. And thank you for your question, <laughs> Andy. Not. It's so good, Dave. How do you do it? Uh, well, thanks, Andy, for the <laughs> kind words. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I thought I'd include this here because I haven't said anything about this for a while, especially for new listeners may not know how the financial model works. So I guess both of us are a bit of a misfits in the podcasting world, Bonnie. And one of the things I see a lot, and we've gone, we talked to other podcasters, we've gone to conferences where there's podcasters. One of the popular goals of podcasters uh, is to build a podcast, get a following, and then run ads. And the, the end goal is to get a sponsor and run ads on their show. And I'm not saying that everyone who runs ads is that's what they're in it for, but th- there's there's a lot of that pressure and that focus in the podcasting world. And I'm not saying we'll never have an advertiser or a partner in this program, but that's not real that's never been the drive for coaching for leaders. So coaching for leaders is not was not founded to get a sponsor. Coaching for leaders was founded to build better leaders. So everything we do that's business related around this show and this platform is helping people to become better leaders. So if we had a someone approach us and say, hey, we want to engage in a sponsorship or a partnership, and it was really going to help our audience to become a better leader, I'm open ears for it. That said, all of the emails I've gotten the last year or two asking about sponsorships or to advertise for <laughs> um, all kinds of things, I won't say any names, but it, it does, Bonnie, it just... It's, it's odd to me when I listen to like a leadership show or a technology show and they're running ads about like mattresses and things like mm-hmm. that. It's not a it's not a good fit for you. And it's not a it's not even that great a business model for the podcaster in most cases, most of the advertising that's being done out there. So we have stepped aside from that. And again, I'm not saying we'll never do it, but I'd rather put my time and effort into things that from a business standpoint are also going to build our audience's skills and capacity to be better leaders. And so that's why the Coaching for Leaders Academy started. It 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 was a thoughtful uh, it was a thoughtful plan in order to help our audience to be way better at leadership and to work with people over a sustained period of time, which is something I've not seen a lot of in the professional development world. And so that's the drive behind the academy. And to answer your question directly, Andy, uh, 90% of the revenue that comes from this show comes directly now from the folks who are members in the Coaching for Leaders Academy. So I guess technically it's a what we would call freemium model, right, Bonnie? They, mm-hmm. So a small number of people and their organizations, because many of them, their organizations pay for participation in the academy, fund the entire platform, uh, fund this the entire production of this show. And we're able to do that. And I'm really proud of that. I think that that, that for me is all about what this show's about. We're building better leaders. It's funding the show and the the platform for everything else that we do. Now, I will mention there's another 10% piece there. And the other 10% is affiliate relationships that come uh, come t- sometimes come to us or sometimes that 
uh, we enter into that we also think will be of benefit to our audience. So one example of that, and probably the biggest one we've done, is the Michael Hyatt affiliate relationship when we've promoted his Best Year Ever course at the end of the year. We did that because I love the course. And I reached out to them about having Michael come on the show and talk about his course, not even knowing they had an affiliate program and got the offer to uh, to partner with them. And it's been hugely helpful to so many of our audience members over the last few years. I keep hearing about great stories from people. So that's something we'll probably continue to do. And then the other, the other final way that this business makes revenue is from affiliate relationships. We always disclose them online when we have a link to an affiliate link for something that people can purchase. And so for example, the link, the the books that we've talked about on today's show, when we put them in our show notes in the weekly leadership guide, the links that we have as an affiliate, like for Amazon, which is the most common one we use, always have a little asterisk behind them. And so if you click on that link from our weekly leadership guide or from our show notes, the ones that have a little asterisk, it's it costs you the same, but they pay us a tiny amount in order to thank us for referring you to purchase the product. And like I said, most of those are Amazon. We, I think we've done a couple of other affiliate things here and there, but it's been you know minor things. We always disclose it, and we're always very clear on every email that we send. Uh, always has the asterisks of the ones that are uh, affiliates. So uh, Andy, my call to action to you and anyone else is if you'd like to support the show and the Academy isn't the right fit for you for whatever reason, and we'll have future opportunities for the Academy as well. By the way, if you're interested in the Academy, coachingforleaders.com slash Academy is where you can go to get on the list for future opportunities. But the other thing I'd say is if you listen to an episode on Coaching for Leaders and you hear a book that you'd like to purchase, we really benefit by you clicking on that link in the weekly leadership guides or on the show notes. So if you're going to plan to purchase a book you've heard about or a recommendation we've made, um, we really appreciate that. You know, We get paid like 50 cents or a dollar something like that for each one. But it adds up over time. And all of those, all of the revenue that's received from those affiliates goes right back into our platform. And that's how we fund the show, Andy. That's how we fund our time to do this. And I'm really p- proud of the model we've built around revenue because all of it is built with helping people to become better leaders. I was laughing as you were talking a little bit, Dave, because the way I perceive it is the Academy helps to support the podcast. And in fact, the Academy helps to support my podcast, which is a whole lot less revenue producing than yours is. However, I feel like the affiliate links just support our book habit. They just barely help pay for our monthly expenses and books, probably. Yeah, probably. It's never been that much. It's a tiny, tiny amount, but it does make a difference. And we have members in our community who wait for the we the Wednesday weekly leadership guide to come out to click on the link because they know we'll get you know twenty five cents mm-hmm. for that and I, I'll tell you that warms my heart as much of as the coaching for leaders academy members who have put their trust in me and in this platform to support them throughout the year and their leadership development because for me it's not about the dollars it's not about the revenue it's about the purpose behind what we're doing it goes back back to what we talked about with Simon Sinek earlier, start with why. The why is to help leaders grow. You know, leaders aren't born, they're made. That's what the show's about. And so I'm I'm just thrilled we get to do it this way. And I can't wait to see what will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. 
thank you, Bonnie, as always. And uh, as we do every Q&A session, we mentioned a lot of resources. All of those will be available in the weekly leadership guide coming out this Wednesday. If you don't already have access to that, as I mentioned earlier, the best way to get access is to go to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. And in addition to getting access to the weekly leadership guide every week with all the show notes and resources for me, you will also get access to all the free member benefits on the coachingforleaders.com website. And one of the themes that came out pretty strongly in today's conversation from several of the questions is the bigger reason for what we're doing and why we're doing it, the start with why, like Simon Sinek would say. And I can't think of a better example of someone I know who has really zeroed in on her why and the importance of what she does than my friend Sandy Morgan. Sandy is the director of the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University. She's a dear friend of Bonnie and myself, and uh, we've had the privilege of knowing her for, oh gosh, uh, over a decade now. And I guess it was about seven years ago, Sandy uh, extended an invitation to me to serve as a volunteer on her board of directors to do the important work of studying the issue, being studying the issues rather, being a voice, and also working to end the important and difficult um, phenomenon in our world right now called human trafficking. And I know some of you are aware of human trafficking and the complexities and the challenges going on in our world around trafficking. It has become an even, sadly, a bigger issue in recent years with all the refugee situations going on in many parts of the world, including, of course, the Middle East. And the reason I'm mentioning this today is because not only did Sandy just have her annual conference this week, assembling people from all over the world on this issue, but Sandy and I have been worked on, working on a very important project that is a passion for both of us in helping get the word out about this difficult issue and helping so many people to engage in partnerships that help to prevent human trafficking. And that is the Ending Human Trafficking podcast. Uh, Sandy and I, for the last almost, let's see, six years now, have been airing the human, the Ending Human Trafficking podcast uh, twice a month. Uh, it is a really important show. It is something I am so privileged and proud to be a part of. And it is something that is very much a passion of mine and of Sandy's to get the word out on what we can all do together in order to address this very difficult issue. And uh, I don't know if this is something that's a passion for you or not, or if you have an awareness of human trafficking. If you don't, I'd encourage you to to check it out just to learn a little bit more about the issue. Uh, but the reason, the real reason I'm mentioning this is because I bet you know someone in your faith community or in the workplace, or in a nonprofit, or, or just a friend or a family member that does have a passion for helping with this problem or is aware of this issue going on in the world. And if you know that person and they are looking for a way to continually help and to serve and to partner with others, would you kindly take a moment to pass along the Ending Human Trafficking podcast to them? Uh, you can search for it on iTunes, of course. You can search for my name, whatever's easiest. You'll track it down. And of course, I'll put a link for the episode, uh, for the show rather, in this week's show notes and the weekly leadership guide. Thanks in advance uh, if you do pass it along. I'm very grateful for it. It'll continue to help us to support Sandy and the important work that she's doing in the world in order to really serve humanity, which is, of course, what we're all working to do, whether it's through leadership, whether it's through nonprofit work, whether it's in our families, that's such important 
such important work that we all do. Now, a few episodes in the past on Coaching for Leaders that related to today's conversation. Of course, as I mentioned, Simon Sinek, Start With Why, was he was on episode 223. If you haven't heard that conversation before, definitely check it out. A lot of the principles we talked about today uh, will be of value to, the, to you, of course. His book by the same name, Start With Why, a great read. That's episode 223. Episode 257, my friend Tom Henschel and I talked about how to manage former peers. Thomas's question got me thinking about this because he mentioned he was an individual contributor. He's now managing some of the people he used to be peer, used to uh, be peers with. And if that's the situation you're about to find yourself in, or maybe it's a situation you just came into, episode 257 is a must listen for you. Also, episode 282, recently Dan Ariely was on the show talking about how to motivate people and some of the challenges many of us as leaders fall into when we motivate only around money or chiefly around money. That's an important conversation. Comes back to some of the conversation Bonnie and I had today around motivation. So again, that's episode 282. And then finally, on episode 284, very recently, Michael Bungay-Stanier and I talked about how to stop rescuing people from their problems. We talked about the coaching skills to use around that. We talked about the drama triangle. If you haven't checked that out, I think it's going to be a very practical listen for you. And of course, you can access all of those past episodes by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. And of course, they'll all be linked up in this coming week's weekly leadership guide. On next episode, I'm glad to welcome Amanda Davis to the show. Amanda is an expert from the hospitality industry and is going to teach us how to successfully onboard new employees. It is not enough just to have an orientation session when an employee shows up for work on the first day. We're going to talk about the strategy for how to onboard employees well. I think you're going to find that to be a very valuable conversation for you and the people you lead. And thank you again to everyone who submitted a question for today's show. If you'd like to submit a question for a future Q&A show the first Monday of every month, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Have a fabulous week, and I look forward to talking with you about onboarding next Monday. Take care.